All of us are shaped uh, by things that happen in our lives, whether they're um, things that we learn, um, whether they're experiences that we've had. These things are like things that we chew on and ponder on, um, and they shape us. We take them down inside of us deeper and deeper through time, and they shape us. And so we have the privilege of listening to three people now who are going to share with us some of the truths that have shaped them. And can I just encourage you, uh, when they're handing over one to the other, um, so we're going to listen to Tim first. When they're handing over, take that time just to be chewing, whether you have an apple with you or a Mars bar with you or not. Um, take that time instead of just thinking, oh, this one's going up and taking the microphone, and there's that one. Actually go, is this a truth? This that I've just heard, is this a truth that I want to chew and take down into my life? Do I want this truth that they've just shared to shape me? Does this truth shape me already? Is this a truth that I want to shape me more? And just take that moment with the switch over just to be going, God, would you come and shape me more? Reveal to me out of what is shared now um, what the truth is that you want me to take home today. So, Tim, come on up. Thank you very much. Your microphone's here. Thanks, Ali. Does that sound come through all right? Yes, uh, my name's Tim. Um, I've been coming to NCR for, I think, about four years since we moved to the area. Uh, my wife, Susan, spoke here what feels like a million years ago, but I think it was <laughs> March, March. Um, and my, I've got two kids. They go to Ringwood Ace Primary. Um, I'm going to start with a story. It's not from the Bible, I don't think. Um, a man was greeted by St. Peter at the pearly gates of heaven. Um, St. Peter checked his records and faced the man and gestured, come right in. The man stepped forward and as he did, he looked over around at the long line of people uh, being turned away. And the line you know, wasn't moving and the people would get to the front and they were, they were being turned away. And the man said, what about, what about those guys? Um, and St. Peter said, well, with a bit of a sigh, uh, you know the rules. Only the right ones can come in. And it's just the way it is. And the man thought for a minute. And he thought about Jesus, thought about Jesus' life, his teaching, his example. And he motioned towards those being turned away. And he said, actually, I'm going to stay out here with them. And a grin crept across St. Peter's face and he said, at last, now you get it. And this story reminds me of the life of Jesus. Um, when others ignored the sinful woman at the well, he noticed her. He defended the woman when uh, the religious men wanted to stone her. He ate with swindling tax collectors. His close friends and colleagues were, were not the heights of religious society, but a bunch of fishermen. Uh, and as the crowd jostled around Jesus, he, he felt, he felt the, the power go out of him when an unclean woman touched his clothes. He hung out with the outcasts. He sought the crippled, the disease-ridden, and any that society deemed um, unworthy, disreputable, and morally wrong with their lifestyle choices and his inner circle was a ragtag group of pretty ordinary sinners. I heard that story about the man at the pearly gates many years ago. 
Um, and I loved it. And I still do love the idea of being intentional about hanging out with those who may not be the obvious choice. And St. Peter alluding to that being the point all along. And at the time I heard the, at the time I heard the story, I, I was teaching at uh, a school in Preston, Preston Northeast Primary School. Um, about 90 percent of the families were welfare dependent. Um, it was pretty normal for kids to come without lunch. Uh, their afternoons were not filled with sport, music lessons, and that kind of stuff. Um, there were over fifty nationalities represented by the fifty by the three hundred and fifty kids at the school. About 65% of families didn't speak English at home and their access to support services and navigating, I guess, or understanding how normal Australian families kind of lived um, was challenging. There was a huge Middle Eastern and Somali Muslim population. In fact, I had four Muhammads in my class one year (laughs) and two of them had the same surname. So, crazy. Um... And the language school on site ensured that every class in the school had at least one refugee who had literally been in Australia for days or weeks um, when they arrived. Um, and 15% of students were Indigenous, which was one of the highest ratios in metropolitan Melbourne. And devastatingly, this is where a lot of the uh, disadvantage and dysfunction that we dealt with um, happened. And I was integrated into this beautiful, messy, challenging, diverse community for, for 12 years. Um, and not just in a professional capacity, as you can imagine, but um, personally dealing with it as well, but helping families navigate education systems, health systems. I was often the conduit between the family and access to the rest of Australia and what, what things meant. Um, Supporting kids who literally never left the triangle between school, their home and Northland Shopping Centre um, and didn't get to school camps, uh, learning about cultures, learning language and culture and all this other stuff as, as they're trying to, um, I guess, d- determine where they're, where they're at, where, where they, how they fit into their family, how they fit into life, how dealing with experiences from countries that they'd come from. Um, I don't remember many days that passed by incident-free, uh, but I loved, I loved every minute of it. And I won't go into stories, but rest assured, I've got hundreds. And I was exposed to every social welfare issue you can possibly imagine. Some days and weeks were really tough, professionally and personally. But in that community, I also witnessed so much. Uh, generosity, kindness, loyalty, love, care, friendship... And I always sensed God revealing himself when those things happened, saying, I am here. My wife, Suze, works for Global Interaction, which is now Baptist Mission Australia. And in the early days, we'd just moved from Sydney to Melbourne. Um, and we'd just got married, so I'd go along to support. And um, these young adult mission nights and teams that had just come back from from a global exposure trip in Indonesia or Thailand or wherever I'd hear about these these churches and hear about their trips, Southeast Asia, Mozambique, Malawi, Kazakhstan, exploring ways of doing mission, seeing projects happening, hearing stories of intercultural workers doing life with least reached people groups. And (laughs) 
I would just ride half an hour up High Street and I was seeing all this unfold <laughs> in real time. Um, and the story about the man and the example that Jesus set of connecting with people on the margins. So I'm just dealing with a rogue fly there. Um, the example of Jesus set that Jesus set with people on the margins of society meant a lot to me. Um, and now I'm teaching in a really well-resourced, comparatively wealthy primary school in Mitcham. Being intentional about engaging with the margins is a lot harder than it was in Preston. And, and now as we, we've got two kids, for anyone who's got kids, and our time is a lot more uh, limited. However, as a family, we're, we're trying to make good choices. We're trying to uh, spend our time, spend our resources really strategically. Um, I support Suze in her work for the mission agency uh, and, and the volunteer work she does with Baptist World Aid. We try to teach the kids about the ways uh, and the works of Jesus and we're encouraged and supported by our NCR group, our, our life group, but also spending time with people who, who don't, don't yet know Jesus. So looking forward, uh, school starts this week, as Ali mentioned. And as many as we know, it's the, it's the time to start making decisions for the year. As we come out of lockdown again, it seems really significant. It seems really important that we, um, that we consider how we spend our time. Which activities do our kids do? What do we prioritise? Who do we invite over? Where do we go? Which relationships do we really put our time and investment into? Um, and as Susan and I do this, my hope is that we remember the truth and we remember that message of Jesus about engaging with the margins and journeying with those people. Um, Jesus chose the margins. He, he chose the poor and he asked his followers to make disciples. So I'm going to hand over now to Gretel. Yep, she's making her way down. Good morning. I'm hoping I can manage without my glasses. See how we go. Really enjoyed listening to that, Tim, and hearing about connecting on the margins. Awesome. Um, growing up, I was a sporty one in my family. Um, so I was involved in a number of different sports, um, particularly little athletes, through senior athletes and netball and gymnastics. And um, even though I was quite good at a variety of sports, I would always wrestle with butterflies in my stomach when it came to training and competing on the beam. That high 10 centimetre wide apparatus that I was supposed to not only balance on, but launch off and land on. <laughs> um, it just did not feel like a big enough base or a secure enough foundation to rely on. Um, I think it's part um, of the reason that the parable of the two builders really resonated me, with me from an early age. And I'd like to read that to you now from Matthew 7. Um, Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. 
yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So I had a strong conviction as a young Christian that it wasn't enough just to listen to God's word. His word had to be put into practice in my life, and and really that was the only way to have that solid as a rock foundation. So we have this wonderful book, the Bible, book of wisdom, so many challenging words, so much to understand and incorporate into my life. Um, Last week, I don't know if Viv's here today, um, I think I can see her there, yeah. Um, Like Viv, um, a key scripture to me or for me was that love God, love love others one found in Mark 12, um, 29, and I won't elaborate too much because we heard about that from Viv last week. Um, but Jesus himself um, identified the love God, love others as the most important commandment when questioned by one of the teachers of the law um, and aligned to it in Matthew seven twelve, 12, um, it says, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you for this sums up the law and the prophets. Okay, so that seemed to be where I need to focus and put my energies Um, And to help get a handle on what this love in action thing involved, um, I headed for the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. Only I didn't get very far. Um, In fact, I got stuck at verse 4, which says, Love is patient. Love is kind. I think when I first started to mull over these verses, I was going through what I call my prolonged grumpy mummy phase, of which impatience and frustration were constantly on offer to my beloved family. Um, And so those words, love is patient, love is kind, became both a conviction um, and a comfort. So a conviction in as much as uh, being very aware of my shortcomings Um, and also a comfort from the profound sense that God's undeserving patience and kindness towards me despite these failures. Um, And the the words in Romans 2.4 became very precious to me. Um, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. So this idea of kindness and being kind really captivated me as it seemed to be God's direct and, and persistent word to me um, and a key to how he wanted me to live. Um, I love the fact that kindness is listed as a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and that that um, description of the fruit um, ends by saying, against such things there is no law. Um, as I re-entered the workforce after each of my breaks, having my three boys. Um, It was an incredible time of self-doubt and lack of confidence um, as I sought to overcome my baby brain and um, catch up with what seemed like big leaps forward um, in my profession each time I had that time out. Um, 
And at these times, it really helped me to think that even if I wasn't the most cutting-edge physio um, in the team, I could give my patients kindness um, and understanding as I treated them. Um, a few years back, I was actually nominated by my colleagues for a kindness award at Eastern Health, uh, which is one of our core, core values. So I felt both humbled and affirmed that perhaps the fruit of the spirit was actually growing in me. Um, the last couple of years as a healthcare worker has been really tough, and I know there's a lot of healthcare workers in our gathering today and probably at home as well. Um, and I've got to admit that by the end of last year, I was emotionally spent. Um, and I would describe myself as having compassion fatigue. Along with working three days a week, um, I was supporting my kids through remote learning, including a VCE student. Um, I was supporting my parents as my dad went through a series of surgeries and months um, of hospitalisation where I wasn't permitted to visit. Um, I was supporting our young mums um, through our playgroup and also a number of close friends through significant bereavements. Um, and I have just had to return to those foundational teachings of Jesus and, and discovering the importance of loving God as the key and strength from which loving others comes. Um, I've been really fortunate to have had two blocks of holidays to start this new year um, where I've been able to immerse myself in God's creation. Um, and it's really here that I consider the birds and the intricacies of this amazing world that he made for us. And to me, that's just God's love. Um, I also discover in, in creation that, uh, or rediscover that I'm not a human doing, but a human being. And I get that opportunity to relax into Jesus' command to remain in my love so that I can continue to bear fruit. Um, so I guess if you're feeling in any way like I was at the end of last year, um, can I encourage you to stop and rediscover or discover for the first time the love of God that he wants to lavish on you? Thank you so much and I'll hand over to Troy. Thanks, Gretel. I wonder if you've ever had that experience when uh, life's going well for you and you've kicked a goal you know, you stand a little bit taller, you sort of chest out, world seems good to you. And then those days in which uh, you don't kick a goal and perhaps what you tried to do was uh, not so great and you kind of realise that and you kind of slump your shoulders and walk a little bit. Do you know what I mean? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I reckon apart from coming to know Jesus and encountering his rescuing life, one of, I reckon the greatest challenges I've had in my life is trying to replace some of the old narratives and half-truths and misinformation that what I picked up when I was younger and getting older and not allowing it to impact me in the same way. I reckon the process of exchange and trying to take on and pick up who God says I am and not the wider cultural sphere, and allowing that to shape and pattern my life from the inside out, I reckon is probably one of the greatest challenges that someone who says they follow Jesus has. 
heard a story about an old Scottish man. He was sitting in a chapel and some young person came in. The person said, what are you doing? He was thumbing through this book, the Bible. And he replied, I'm reprogramming my mind. I think what he was trying to say is that the process of exchange, that is taking old narratives and stories and beliefs and half-truths and lies and replacing them with things that are true, truly true, a better perspective, a fresh lens, replacing the old with the new, kind of takes a lifetime of change. I don't remember too many of the guys that I grew up with going to school speaking in a really positive, glowing way about their school experience. I think for many of them, school was kind of more about survival. When I chat to them, they pretty much have a level of either it was either half-baked or it was south from there. I remember as a kid growing up, forming this little mantra in my head that went something like this. I don't care if some of those kids don't like me. I'll make them respect me. You see, what a kid does in order to try and make life work for them, they, they reach to their most natural strength and then they go with that. I mean, if they're good at words, they can build people up, but with their tongue, they can just shred people and cut them down so quick. Someone else, if they've got the smarts, they kind of learn how to do the smarts really well. And so they wait for the time in which the awards come out. Then they can sort of stand up tall and look down their noses and see where everyone else stands. And Maybe someone who's strong, they get to use their strength. Maybe they become the classroom bully. Or maybe someone who's just artistically gifted, they can use their skills to awe and wonder people because that's their thing and that's how they make life work. The only problem is with those defense mechanisms <laughs> over time, you realize that there's a point in life in which they no longer work. The things that I did to try and control things no longer work. They bump into situations and relationships kind of don't operate in kind of that user pay control mechanism system. And then you bump into a person that you discover in the face of Jesus, you recognize and encounter a God who says he loves you and that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, he kind of, he loves you. And then all those mechanisms you had in place to try and earn other people's kind of respect around you, they kind of just melt away. And you realize, I can't apply that to God. There's two things I've discovered in my life about how do I actually do that exchange process. That is, take the things that are those old half-truths and narratives and stories and replace them with who God says that I am and operate out of that pattern. The two would be this. Firstly, Jesus said these words. I am the way, truth and life. If you want to actually discover who God is and come to know him, you kind of do it through me. Which I think in a way he was trying to say that truth isn't some idea 
some proposition that if I just say that truth, God loves me enough and put it in my head that it'll stick there. And if I kind of just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it, that somehow it'll sink into me. No, no, I think he presses it a little bit deeper than that. And he says, actually, if you want to know what's truly true, if you want to anchor your life in it, truth is not a proposition or an idea. Truth is a person. Truth is a fully human embodied person. If you want to know what's up or down, left or right, if you want to know what you can anchor yourself to, if you want to discover the creator and the maker of the entire universe behind all of the atoms and molecules, there is a person. Truth is a person that invites me to know him. The second one is this. I think that process of exchange or change or transformation is a lifelong lived experience. Jesus said to a group of people who were kind of resisting and pushing back on him, he said this, you diligently study the Bible because you think that by it you possess eternal life. He says, this and these are the words that point to who I am, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I think what he was trying to say is, If you want to actually encounter truth and be guided and shaped by it from the inside out, it's a pattern and process of actually coming to know the one true source of life, that which is truly true, and have a lived experience and encounter that shapes you daily from the inside out, not from the upside down. I once heard of a psychiatrist. In fact, I was chatting to him. <laughs> Not my psychiatrist. Oh, I have spoken to some and been to some over my years. He said this to me, Troy, out of all the people that I sit down and talk with, I wish there's one thing I could prescribe at the end of every encounter and conversation that I have. I said, what's that? He said, I wish I could prescribe love. Just take a pen, write a script, hand it to someone, they can go to the pharmacy and get it. But you can't. But Jesus said these words, come to me all who are weak and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon yourself and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your weary souls. I think Jesus was trying to say that if you want to operate from a different paradigm, forget that idea about truth being a proposition or a fact or something you can bubble up and just insert in your head. Truth is a person. And you discover that truth, Jesus said, is that when you hear the words that I say and you put them into practice and kind of obey them, He said, you will begin to know the truth, him. And he will set you free to operate in a new paradigm, in a new way. Old half-baked truths, new fresh ones, that which is truly true. We're going to have a pause space right now and Jackson's going to come on up. And I wonder if over the past few weeks, 
you've been operating by the paradigm of, oh, if I could just get that idea, that God loves me idea, or if I can just get that thought, that fact, zip it in my head, say it enough, it'll kind of sink down. Don't get me wrong. If truth is truly true, it's good. But if there's one profound thing that the Bible talks about is that truth is not just a fact to be distilled or put in a test tube and repeated so that everyone can kind of agree to it. Radical claim of Jesus is that his truth embodied. We don't exchange old patterns and lies and half-truths and misinformation by just naming it and then trying to insert a new thing. It comes from a lived experience and a radical encounter with the person behind the universe and his name is Jesus. So I wonder is in this pause space right now, if you might want to open up your mind or your heart or your body or yourself to the truth. And he might he might want to say to you today. So perhaps you want to close your eyes or maybe just pause, maybe open your posture. And invite you to just simply pray, Jesus, I come to you. Jesus, I come to you. I come to you weary, heavy burdened, self-sufficient, kicking goals. But nonetheless, I come to you. Would you reveal yourself to me? a truly, truly truth that you want to speak to me about right now. Truth is a person. The exchange happens over a lifetime of meeting with him, soaking him up so that his truth rubs off, changes me from the inside out. Thank you, Jesus, the truly truthful one. He knows my every coming and going, my highs and lows, my good and my bad, still loves me and bids me come.
on what the Spirit is saying to you today. What you need to soak up, hold on to, and say thank you. We're going to sing a song. It's on the sheets before you. It talks about being Jesus being Him alone, the Christ, the King, the Lord and Boss and CEO of the world and centering your life on Him. Why don't we sing?